The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Happy 4th of July to all of you. So glad that you've joined us this morning, even if you're joining us online. Um, It truly is an incredible privilege that we have the freedom to gather here and worship. It's a privilege that's not afforded to many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We have so much to be thankful for. And so I I hope that you have a great day celebrating the freedom that is ours here in this nation. I hope you also will take some time today, set some time aside to pray for this country, to pray for what's going on in the world around us right now, that, that, that we truly would be the United States of America, that we truly would live up to our highest ideals of liberty and justice for all. And that we would be reminded that as God's people, we are called to be salt and light in the midst of the world in which we find ourselves. We have so much to be grateful for in the life of this nation. And we look around and see that this nation is in need of salt and light. And may we be God's people in the midst. I got to tell you before we start the sermon, I'm freaking out just a little bit. Because uh, my daughter, my youngest kid, was up here in the youth group choir a little while ago. So I'm like, how did that happen? I'm freaking out just a little bit. But so glad that our students are here with us. And so thank you for leading us in worship this morning. If you've got a Bible, grab it and let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We are launching a brand new sermon series this week that's called Can You Relate? It's a series all about relationships. And as I was getting ready for this morning, I was thinking about the the, the idea that, boy, life would really be great if it wasn't for all the people, right? (laughs) I mean, think about it. Some Some of your deepest pains have come in the context of relationships. Some of life's greatest conflicts have come in the context of relationships. Some of your... Worst decisions have come in the context of relationships. I, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but, but I suspect that many of us could say, I smoked my first cigarette <laughs> in the context of relationships. I, I, I drank my first beer because I was with people in the context of relationships. And some of you are thinking, I made some much worse and more consequential choices than just smoking a cigarette or having a beer in the context of relationships. Some of life's great pains, some of life's deepest struggles, some of our worst decisions come out of the context of our relationships. So life would be great if it wasn't for the people, except we all know that's not true. We all know down deep in our bones that we are made for relationships. That even when our, our relationships get, get sideways, get, get, get twisted up, when our relationships uh, get, get strained and get broken, and we even feel broken by those relationships, that there's something down deep in our soul that knows that you and I were made for relationships. As the Christian story goes, our God exists Uh, One God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That at the base of all reality, according to the Christian story, the base of all reality is a relationship. 
And that we are made in the image of that relational God that he has made us for relationship. And, and, and even science and medicine confirms this. One medical expert put it this way. He says, there isn't any other factor in medicine. Not diet, not smoking, not exercise, not stress, not genetics, not drugs, not surgery that has greater impact on our quality of life, incidence of illness, and premature death from all causes than loneliness and isolation. Love and intimacy, our ability to connect with ourselves and with others is at the root of what makes us sick and makes us well. What causes sadness and what brings happiness? What makes us suffer and what leads to healing? If a new drug had the same impact, virtually every doctor in the country would be recommending it to his or her patients. And and if there was a little pill that could do all of that, every one of us would be signing up for it, wouldn't we? Because you and I were made for relationships. But it's not only true that we're made for relationships, it's also true that we are made by relationships, that we become who we are at our our deepest selves through the way in which we are formed by relationships. It's been well said that show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Students, this is a really important lesson for you. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because the people that we run with, the people that are part of our inner circle, have a deep impact on our character. They, they deeply shape who we are becoming. We are made for relationships, and we are made by relationships. And yet, we are all messed up people in a mixed up world. And because we're all messed up people in a mixed up world, all of our relationships can be strained. All of our relationships can be broken and we can feel broken by those relationships. And this is where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus is our model for how to live in relationship. You see, the uh, Christian belief, the Christian doctrine is that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. This, in big theological terms, is called the hypostatic union, the the mystery that he is both fully God and fully human. And part of the reason that, that Christianity emphasizes that is that we needed God to come towards us for reconciliation, but we also needed a human to represent us for reconciliation. And yet there's more to the affirmation that Jesus is fully God and fully human than just that. It's also the recognition then that in his embodied life, Jesus shows us what God is like. And as fully human in his embodied life, Jesus shows us what the fully human life is meant to look like. Jesus is our ultimate model for relationships. And so over the course of the next six weeks, we'll be exploring Jesus and his relationships and what his relationships have to teach us about ours. We'll be looking at Jesus and his friends, Jesus and his family of origin, Jesus and the people around him, Jesus and his enemies. And we'll find in him the ultimate model of human relationships. And I think as we look at Jesus over the course of these weeks, what we'll see that kind of ties all of these ideas together is that Jesus is the ultimate example of what psychologists call a differentiated self. 
a differentiated self. And, and this, friends, is a, a, a thing that God is just working deeply in me. This is an area of deep growth and transformation in my own life, learning more and more what it means to truly be a differentiated person, a differentiated leader. In the book, The Leader's Journey, the authors capture this idea of differentiation this way. They said differentiation is the ability to remain connected in relationship to significant people in our lives and yet not have our reactions and behavior determined by them. Steve Cuss, similarly, in his book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, says it this way. Differentiation is the ability to be fully yourself while being fully connected to people. It's gaining clarity on where I end and the other begins. Put simply, to be differentiated is to be both defined and connected simultaneously. To be defined, to say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. These are my convictions and Connected, maintaining that sense of deep connection with other people. And what happens for many of us is that we tend to go to one pole or the other, that we tend either to say, I'm going to be defined and I don't care what you think. I'm going to, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to say what I think. And I don't care how that makes you feel. I, I, I don't care about maintaining the connection. I'm going to remain defined. Others of us swing the other way, that we so want to, to protect that connection, that we lose ourselves in the midst of it, that we lack that sense of being defined. And what happens is when we swing to one pole or the other of those, we don't actually wind up getting what we want. And so we see in Jesus the ultimate example of one who is defined and connected, one who is differentiated. And we'll see this play out in all of Jesus' relationships. But this morning, we're going to look specifically at Jesus. And his friends. Jesus and his friends. And the first thing that we need to observe is just the reality that Jesus had friends. I mean, surely if anybody didn't need people, didn't need friends in his life, surely it would be Jesus. And yet, as the fully human one, he shows us the need for friends. Jesus had kind of concentric circles of friends. He had the 70 those with whom he was connected. In, in Luke's gospel, he, he sends them out, commissions them on a short-term mission trip. They were connected. And then he has the, the next ring in, the, those who were close. The 12. The 12 that, that went with him everywhere he went, that saw everything he did, that heard everything he said, that were just with him. And then he had the intimate, that inner circle. Peter, James, and John. These three who get special access to Jesus. Who go places and see things and experience things experience things with Jesus that the others didn't. This intimate circle of his most trusted friends, connected, close, and then intimate. And what we see as we look at the way in which Jesus related to these concentric circles is that we find that Jesus' model offers us a sense of what these kinds of formative friendships are all about. And as we explore a few scenes together this morning, I think what we're going to see is that friendship, according to Jesus, is the commitment to presence, honesty, and sacrifice in the mutual pursuit of the with God life. Friendship, according to Jesus, is the commitment to presence, honesty, and sacrifice in the mutual pursuit of the with God life. Look with me at this passage in Mark chapter 3. This is where Jesus first calls these disciples, his friends, to himself. 
Mark chapter three, verse 13, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him and he, he appointed the 12 that, he might, that they might be with him. Now, the first thing to note there is Jesus called to himself those whom he wanted. I love that little line. These are the ones Jesus says, I want you in my life. I want to be a part of your life. And I think we see in that the sense that, that friendship is built on the basis of a mutual commitment. That, that we are committed to each other for it to truly be a friendship. And of course, it's not a formal commitment. There's no form that you fill out, right? You can uh, 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 initial here, 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 and here, and then sign a date at the bottom. It, it doesn't work that way. And yet, without that sense of commitment to one another, the, the friendship really can't grow. Jesus is committing to these men to be a part of his life. If you're the one who's always showing up and always being vulnerable, we don't call that friendship. We call that therapy. And, and don't get me wrong. A relationship with a good therapist is a really good thing. I know many of us who have benefited from a relationship with a therapist. And I know many others who could benefit from a good relationship with a therapist. But this idea of friendship It's about mutuality. There's a mutual commitment to one another. Both of us committed to showing up. Both of us committed to being vulnerable. Both of us committed to walking together. Friendship, according to Jesus, begins with commitment. But then we say commitment to what? And and the first thing that we need to see is it's commitment to presence. Did you notice that in the passage here? He called to himself those whom he wanted that they might be with him. He wanted these guys to walk through life with him, to see what he saw, to, to hear what he said, to do the things alongside him, that they sat together, cooked their meals together, ate around a campfire together. They, they lived life with each other. And there's some sense in which friendship is built by our being with each other. This is part of why it was easier to find and maintain friendships when you're a kid, right? When you're a student, it's easier, right? Don't we agree, adults? It's easier actually to find and maintain friendships when you're a kid because you had to show up to school every day. And it was that that context of having to show up that you ended up making these kinds of connections. But the kind of deep formative friendships that we're talking about here are showing up even when you don't have to. For the last 12 years, I've been telling a story about my friend, Mike. And for the last 12 years, every time I've told the story, Mike tells me, you need better stories. But I don't know of a better story to illustrate the power of presence. 12 years ago, my sister was in the hospital dying of cancer. and For the last few weeks of her life, I basically lived in a chair beside her bed. And it seemed like that every time I left the room, and every time I went out into the waiting room, it just seemed like every time that Mike was there. No fanfare, no announcement that he was there, that he was coming, no, no kind of credit that just, he just showed up. He was there for me in my moment of need. It was so powerful. I've been telling that story for 12 years because I don't know a better story of the power of presence, just showing up. 
And I suspect that if we took the time to go around the room this morning and you were to think back on those most formative friendships, those, those friendships that have most shaped who you have become, that many of you would have stories to tell about somebody that just showed up, somebody who was there with you. Even Jesus, in his moment of anguish the night before he went to the cross, invited that inner circle of Peter, James, and John into that moment of anguish with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The most powerful thing that you can give to another person, especially in their moment of need, is your presence. And what we see in the life of Jesus, friendship according to Jesus is commitment to presence. But it goes on from there. It's commitment to presence and honesty. And of course, Jesus is always honest, right? Jesus is is the sinless human, the perfect human, never tells a lie. And yet there's more to it than merely telling the truth. It's actually a willingness and ability to tell the truth, even when it's hard. And this we consistently see in the life of Jesus with his friends. Look with me a few pages on Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, just a few pages to your right. One of these classic scenes of Jesus speaking honestly into the life of his friend. The the context here is that uh, Jesus and his buddies are journeying eventually to make their way to Jerusalem. This is the hinge point of Mark's gospel, the very center of his story. And Jesus and his buddies are in Caesarea Philippi. And he asks them, "Who, who do people say that I am? And they give him the word on the street. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. And then he says to them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, a part of his inner circle, speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus praises Peter. You got it right, Peter. You've seen the truth. And and Jesus says, this truth didn't just come to you by your own abilities. Actually, it was revealed to you by God himself. And then we pick up the story there. Verse 31, and he, that is Jesus, began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Terrible idea, Peter, right? Peter's like, this is not gonna happen. I'm not, the, the Messiah is not supposed to suffer and die. Jesus, didn't you hear what I said? You told me I got it right. This isn't the way it's supposed to go. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus confronts Peter in his wrong. Jesus speaks hard truth into Peter's life. Talk about differentiation. Jesus remains defined and yet connected. Peter, you are wrong. You're not just a little wrong. You're way wrong. You're Satan kind of wrong. Jesus speaks truth. And we all need the kinds of friends that can speak truth into our lives, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. We need those friends who can be honest with us about ourselves, about things we may not see in ourselves. Teresa of Avila, a a great spiritual writer, um, put it this way in a letter she wrote to a group of her friends. She said, I wish that we five who now love each other in Christ might so arrange to come together now and then in order to dispel one another's illusions and to advise one another in the ways in which we can improve ourselves and be more pleasing to God. For no one knows himself so well 
as those who observe him, provided that they do so lovingly and with the wish to do him good. I love that little line in there, to dispel one another's illusions. Because we can be illuded, uh, suffer illusions about ourselves, can't we? Like we all need those kind of friends who love us enough to go, hey, you got something in your teeth right there, right? And the same is true spiritually. I, I, think about, I think about years ago when American Idol just got started, right? This show, and you, you know how the, the tryouts for that thing go. You got the people who are amazing, who can sing, and then you got the people that they put on there who are like, they just can't sing at all. And the whole point is for all of America, 30 million people to be laughing at them. And I remember sitting there watching these poor souls up there doing their thing and thinking, nobody ever loved you enough to say, you can't sing. Right? We all need people who love us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves, about things we may not see in ourselves. I'll never forget years ago, I got a phone call from my old youth pastor, the, the church that I'd grown up in. This is the guy who led me to faith and discipled me and then mentored me in ministry for a decade. And I got a random call for him one day with a very random request. His son had just turned 16 and, and Dave, my youth pastor, had bought him a car. He bought him a car in South Dallas. They were at the time living in New Mexico. And he asked me if I'd go pick up the car in South Dallas and drive it to Grapevine to their old family mechanic who was going to fix it up for him. But it wasn't just any car that he had purchased his son. He had purchased him an old 1970s hearse. And they were going to paint it all kind of bright colors and have all kind of fun with it. And so I willingly uh, obliged and I drove down there and, and picked up the car and I drove it across town. That was the most terrifying 25 minutes of me driving a car ever in my entire life. Because this thing is like crazy long, but more than just the length of this car. Right? Some of you students have no idea what 70s cars look like. I mean, these were crazy long, but not only the length of this car, but it had unbelievable blind spots. Right? You, you, just, you couldn't see anything out the sides and the back. And I've always thought about that terrifying experience driving that old 1970s hearse because it's a reminder that all of us have blind spots. All about of us have things about ourselves that we can't see about ourselves. And friendship, according to Jesus, is having people in our lives who are honest with us to tell us those things that we may not see about us. And yet it's also a sense in which we have to be willing and able to tell others the truth about ourselves that they may not see in us. A willingness to be honest about the reality that we're struggling. To to, to tell hard truths about ourselves. Larry Crabb captures the sentiment this way. He says, everything in spiritual community is reversed from the world's order. It's our weaknesses, not our competence that moves others. Our sorrows, not our blessings that break down the barriers of fear and shame that keep us apart. It's our admitted failures, not our paraded successes that bind us together in hope. We desperately need those friends that we can speak the difficult truth about our own lives. I'm struggling struggling perhaps to maintain physical boundaries in my dating relationship. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my finances. I'm I'm struggling with where I am in my career. I'm struggling with insecurity as a parent. I'm struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression. 
I'm struggling with a sin pattern that just keeps coming back up over and over and over. We all need places. We all need people that we can really be honest about the reality of our struggle. We so often feel the need to keep that hidden. But friends, what happens time and time again when we're willing to open up to others about the reality of our struggle, they're not shocked. They're they're not surprised. Like, how could you do such a thing? Rather, the response is, so often it's you too. That I struggle in so many of the same ways. You're just perhaps more honest than I am. And we need those kinds of friendships where we can be that honest. Friendship, according to Jesus, is the commitment to presence, honesty, and finally sacrifice. Flip over just a few pages to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's giving his final words, his final teaching to his friends, to his disciples. And he says to them in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And then down to verse 17, and this is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus is just about to do. Jesus, the essence of friendship is self-giving love. It's in the context of these kind of deep and formative friendships that we get to practice living and loving like Jesus himself. The essence of this kind of friendship is self-giving, sacrificial love. Nobody knows this better than a college student with a pickup truck, right? Because every college student with a pickup truck knows that when it comes time for people to move, you're everybody's best friend and everybody wants you to show up and sacrificially love them by helping them move with your pickup truck. And of course, that's just a, a shallow, rather trivial example of the ways in which we're called to show up and love each other sacrificially. And I got to tell you, when I got to this point in the sermon prep this week, I, I struggled a bit because I had to take inventory of my own life. And I, I just need to tell you, I carry around a lot of regret for a friendship that I lost because I failed to show up. That, uh, that my friend was in crisis. And I, I walked with him through that for a bit. And then my life just got busy and out of control. And I disappeared. I let him down. And I have asked for and received forgiveness. But the friendship has just never been the same. And I tell you that story. Just to say learn from my failure. That in friendship we are called to show up. And love each other sacrificially. For this is friendship in the way of Jesus. A commitment to presence, honesty, and sacrifice in the mutual pursuit of the with God life. Now, I have just a few points by way of application for us. And the first one is this, beware of cheap imitations. And when it comes to thinking about friendship, we need to beware of cheap imitations. 
We have actually changed the meaning of the word friend, haven't we? we? We've changed it from a noun to a verb, right? She friended me or I'll friend you. Guys, I have 2,778 friends on Facebook. That's crazy. I'm a socially awkward introvert. How is it possible for me to have that many friends? We've changed the definition of the word. And I'm not really that anti-Facebook, anti-social media as it sometimes sounds in my sermons. But we have to recognize that sometimes it can be a cheap imitation of the real thing. And that as wonderful it is for us to remain so broadly connected, the modern experience of loneliness isn't for lack of social connection. It's for lack of intimacy. And that sometimes as our connection gets stretched more and more broad, our experience of intimacy becomes more and more thin. That we need to be aware of cheap imitations. The second point of application is simply this, to become this kind of friend. To become this kind of friend that's characterized by a commitment to presence, honesty, and sacrifice. We used to tell our kids when they were little, to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. And while we can all acknowledge that it's a little more complicated than that, there's also some truth to that adage. That if we want to have these kinds of friendships, we have to commit to being these kinds of friends. And and the good news is these aren't just uh, characteristics of friendship. These are practices. They're like a muscle that we can exercise. The practice of commitment. The practice of presence. The practice of honesty. The practice of sacrifice. I would encourage all of you to consider your concentric circles. From connection to close to intimate. And to say what might it look like. For me to more intentionally engage in these practices. In the context of my friendships. To become this kind of friend. And then finally by way of application. Pursue these kinds of friends. Beware of, of cheap imitations. Become this kind of friend. And then pursue these kinds of friends. And if you have these kinds of friends in your life. Thank God this week and thank them. Like this may just be a great week for you to get out a stack of thank you notes and to just write a note to the people who have been these kinds of friends in your life. But I realize that for me to talk about pursuing these kinds of friends for some actually feels a bit painful. I realize that for some of you, you hear this description of friendship according to Jesus And you say, Barry, I long for that. I want it so badly and yet I'm not experiencing it. I want those kind of friends and yet I don't know where to find them. And I just want to acknowledge that it it is easier to say to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. That, 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 That there is some sense in which you may desperately want this. You may want to pursue this, but you don't know where to find them. And they've just been absent in your life. I would just encourage you to show up to those places where you might find these kinds of friends. Right? We said that it's easier to find and maintain these kinds of friendships when you're a kid because you have to show up with regularity. I would say to show up regularly to the kinds of places where you might be able to find these kinds of friends. We have a whole slate of ministries here at IBC that are called our Get Connected Ministries. 
Every Sunday morning, we have um, Bible communities that meet across this campus that, that are opportunities to make a connection with other people around studying the scriptures. It's not too late for those of you who are women in the room or watching online that, that you can join our women's summer Bible study that meets on Monday nights. This Friday morning, our men's ministry is relaunching First Watch in person Friday morning. And then we have every Thursday night, our young adult gathering. Just opportunities that we have created for you to show up with regularity to try to find these kinds of friends in your life. Jesus is the ultimate example of what friendship looks like. And we see friendship in the way of Jesus involving a commitment to presence, honesty, and sacrifice in the mutual pursuit of the with God life. Let's pray together. And in this moment, I want to invite you just to prepare your hearts for communion. To hear those words from Jesus who said, greater love has no one than this. Than to lay one's life down for one's friends. And this is what Jesus has done for you. He's laid his life down for you. So that we might be able to call him not only savior and Lord and teacher, but friend. And so in this moment of quiet reflection, is there anything that you need to bring before him this morning? Anything that you need to confess to him before you partake of communion? Or just an opportunity to say thank you. Jesus, we thank you for the way in which you modeled friendship for us. We pray that we might respond by becoming these kinds of friends and pursuing these kinds of friends. And we thank you this morning, Lord, that you have laid your life down for us. That we might call you friend. We love you and we thank you. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.